Hello and welcome to another episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr. Um, I just did a really great interview this week uh, with an author and I'm excited to share the podcast with you later this year. Um, I had this idea to take a break um, over Christmas. Well, I should say to take a break with the record labels and do a couple industry interviews. And so I I interviewed a great author this week and and I'm really stoked for you to hear it. I also want to mention, um, I've mentioned this in the past about uh, work hard, playlist hard, and, and, and I want you to understand um, there is a bit of cost involved with the podcast. Um, really, it's only, it's like 15 bucks a month for hosting. That's pretty much it. Um, but uh, And so to kind of help offset that, um, we partnered with this playlist curator. It's a third-party playlist curator, Work Hard, Playlist Hard. They're uh, really great um, kind of uh, Spotify playlist extraordinaires. And uh, they've written an ebook. And so we did this kind of partnership where if you get this $10 ebook, well, it's $9 if you go through us, but if you get this $9 ebook um, th- that uh, kind of demystifies the whole streaming uh, ecosystem. And uh, if you get this ebook, then we get a percentage of the sales. So it's, it, and it, you know what? And people have done it, it's been great. And it just helps like offset that $15. So nobody's getting rich. I've actually, I read the book, I have a copy, it's great, it is really good. And you can get it at ebook at otherrecordlabels.com and use the coupon code OTHER for 10% off. I'd really appreciate it. It is quite helpful. Today we're talking with Theo from Sports Day Records. This is a great little label. And I've, I mean, they've done some amazing things and they've partnered with some, some amazing labels. And I've been following them for the better part of a year. And uh, I'm so glad that um, Theo agreed to chat for a bit and this is a really great episode. I'm, I'm stoked for you to hear it. You can um, you can learn more about them at sportsdayrecords.com or one thing I've noticed is uh, their Twitter is is more up to speed and, and as is their Facebook, facebook.com slash sportsdayrecords um, on Facebook. They're home to Alex Napping, Y. Bonnie, uh, Harley Alexander, um, and, and they've worked with some names that you're definitely familiar with. Um, this fella is a great guy, and he's got a great accent, so um, I think you're really going to enjoy this chat. Are you there? Hey Hello. Scott. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Is that <laughs> that's great? Any bet? That Is sounds any good. Better? Yeah. Okay. So I want to. Yeah. Yeah, that one. yeah. So I was I was asking. Um, did you move to Austin for the music scene specifically, or or was there another reason? I I had met someone. Okay. So I was interested in trying to make a relationship with that person work, and I think it was kind of like a toss up between her moving to London or me moving there. And I right. think that's when, that's when, you know, the music scene for me was sort of like, well, you know, I'm really interested in this and this seems to be a music scene that I think is really cool and different and exciting and new and fresh. And so I was kind of like, you know, I want to move to Austin anyway and I want to see where this goes. So the two kind of, uh, met in the middle. When I think of, when I think of cities, American cities specifically that have like notorious indie music scenes, I I think of Austin, you know, right up there in the top three. And, and so Mm. is it like, is that intimidating or is it, is it like, um, is it kind of easier, you know, because there's so much going on? 
I think that I don't want this to sound kind of like arrogant, <laughs> but I think coming from London, it felt a lot more chill. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, That's you fair. know what I mean? Yeah. So it actually, for me, felt like a quite a calm scene where everyone was quite supportive and in tr- introduced themselves very quickly and wanted to be your friend and was sort of curious about you. And obviously, you know, that probably covers, comes with my own privilege and my own story and like being kind of a foreigner. Yeah, um, yeah. But I actually found it quite, quite an open book that wasn't particularly intimidating. It was actually very inviting. And I think what was cool about Austin is and still is and I think is changing at the moment is actually there's a lot more there well some of the coolest things happening there aren't necessarily like just the indie scene and Mm. I think it was a lot more fresh and interesting than maybe I thought it was going to be in a good way in like I was kind of surprised at how many cool uh, artists doing different things and I think like I moved there in 2015 and it was a really amazing moment for bands like cross record kind of like creating a space for people to go and play in interesting spaces and um the museum of human achievement being like an interesting kind of diy space and um there were these sort of moments where people were really harvesting community and there was a lot of new artists that kind of like were popping up like nadine and molly birch and howdy kind of like all were very young artists at that point right Um, that have all gone on to like produce really great work. And so when I was there, all those groups were like just forming or had been around for like a year. So it was kind of this moment where everyone was like wanting to meet each other and put on shows in people's houses and gardens and like drive out this, drive out the sweet city and go swimming. And it was, (laughs) yeah, it really felt like this kind of amazing moment in, in Austin that coming from London felt a lot less intimidating. Um, I, I've heard like here in Canada, a lot of times when a, when a city, um, kind of has like a, a blossoming art scene very quickly it becomes uh, difficult for the artists to to stay there because of of increasing rent costs and has that has that been a problem I mean is it is it become a more of a yuppie town is it starting to drive out artists or is it still I think, yes, you're 100% accurate. And it's not only, Austin's not the only city it's affecting. I think yeah. like, even, be- even before I moved there, you know, you'd meet people who would say like, you know, Austin's dead or like <laughs> Austin's not as interesting as it used to be. Or like, you can't be an artist in Austin anymore. And I was coming from London again, <laughs> being like, well, no one can afford to live in this city. So <laughs> yeah. I'm going to the city that seems a lot more chill. Yeah. Um, and I was arriving there and people were telling me that Austin was changing. And I think what's kind of scary, and I guess, like you said, everyone is kind of looking at their own city or their own like artist pull and, and th- saying the same thing. And that in the two years I was there before I moved to New Orleans, I was like, well, you know what? Like, I can't really afford to live in Austin anymore. Or the kind of life I want to live maybe yeah. as a kind of like uh, kind of music DIY outside or whatever you want to call it, like is mm. becoming harder to live. That said, I don't know too many people in Austin that are dying to move out or being forced out. I right. think most people try just try and make it work. You know, you like move in, you get an extra person to move in, or you kind of move slightly further out of the city. I think the interesting thing about Austin is that, and I, I actually have got a lot of hope for Austin. I think like when I was there, there was definitely a lot of people trying different stuff, and it was going in different directions. And I think it still is, and I think there's a really good movement there towards more interesting and different types of music and events. But I think there is, it is 
got it is getting very expensive and that just does bring in a different crowd and I think hopefully no clubs close and no spaces close yeah. and City keep, keeps kind of defending music but I, I, I'm pretty hopeful that they will and I don't think it's quite got that bad yet I know like Cheer Up Charlie's which is probably the most important kind of small bar venue is still really thriving and actually you know only doing more and more great music and inclusive events and so well, I've got a lot of hope for them. It seems like, I mean, obviously, you know, Austin might be uh, an exception and in, in somewhere like Nashville as well, where music is is probably a huge part of their tourism. And so to drive mm. out the artists would just not make sense economically. No, you're totally right. It's like this weird catch-22 of the reason people come there is because of this thing that then gets replaced. Um <laughs> Like, I think what's yeah. funny what's funny is like coming to New Orleans, it feels like people say the same thing about New Orleans, you know. Hmm. Um, it yeah. kind of feels like wherever you go, I think it's a real issue in a lot of like cultural, culturally rich American cities. Yeah, um, yeah, that's and I, true. I think the most beautiful thing about, I suppose, the internet is it makes the world more connected and more uh, satellite and remote. And so what you then find is that like someone that once saw LA as the only way out is now kind of interested in Austin or New Orleans, which is, you know, awesome, but also like there's a lot of like respect and, uh, I don't know, cultural, uh, changes that you don't want to be a part of. You want to make sure a city stays what it is. So it's, it's a very, um, tender and complicated thing that I think like Austin has to work out what it's doing and i think what's weird about austin is that like it's just happened really fast right growing up in london again like if there is any kind of gentrification or cultural change in that city it's happened over a just a much bigger amount of time (laughs) yeah that's true and it also tends it tends to be a more international um like change so like in london there'll be just like you know a lot of like investment or people immigrating from like russia or china or like Mm. asia you know what i mean it'll be more like based on economy whereas in austin it is based on like a lot of young people from like california Mm -hmm. nothing against young nothing against young people from (laughs) california they were lovely but you know what i mean it's like it tends to be one dynamic one uh one specific like it's not like a mixed group it's not like what am i trying to say it's like one very specific group of people who are all moving there because of like yeah, tech or right, no, you know what I mean I, I haven't asked you about the label yet I want to, I want to do this we're talking a lot about yeah America, we got carried away uh, but <laughs> what, how did you how did you end up in uh, New Orleans and you just bring uh, like a bag of tapes and a laptop with you and the label has a new headquarters everywhere you go like how did you how did you move over to New Orleans yeah I mean I, I love that image I, I kind of makes me think I need a proper nice kind of suitcase or briefcase <laughs> yeah. um I mean, I think you're amazingly, you know, you're right. At the end of the day, again, like what I was saying about like remote living, I think we're all in this interesting space where you can kind of be who you are wherever or you can do what you need to do. So for me, that tends to just be like, you know, uh, your computer, your desk, yeah, s- solid Wi-Fi connection. Totally. Uh, sellotape, uh, <laughs> you know, par- 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 packages and parcels, you know. <laughs> yeah. Stamps.com. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, a dubbing machine, uh, good speakers. It's yeah. it's not, you know, it, it, I feel very remote. I think what's, man, what's harder, it, and, you know, I've never, I kind of bombed out of London with the label pretty early, but I think what's harder maybe is that, like, if you're in an LA or New York or London, you can spend more time as a label maybe greasing up media networks or mm. um, 
industry networks that maybe could help the label in that way. But I guess at this stage in my career or sports day's career, it's like I'm not as worried about meeting someone from you know Universal Studios and might want to use one of my band's tracks for uh, right. you know Wes Anderson film. It's like you're not you're not thinking that kind of way at the moment. So yeah. I suppose that's the only thing that holds you back from, you know, even moving from Austin to New Orleans. New Orleans has a lot less industry than Austin. Um, but I think I'm enjoying what comes with being in a scene as a label where you're looking at artists from the ground up, you know, in DIY spaces or in bars or just in their studios or whatever and talking to them and talking about what it is to be an artist or where they want to go tour and who do you know and, you know, where could you, how could you and your ear and your curation or your, you know, the people you know influence their music, even in a very small way in regards to their career. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's, I think it's been fun and that's what I loved about Austin was just spending so much time with artists, not spending time with industry. And I think it's the same and even more so in Austin, uh, sorry, in New Orleans, cause there's, there's no industry here really. I think of some of the labels I've talked to and, and myself, I mean, where, where I live and where our, my label started, I, I don't think I could continue on without having that, um, support base and i mean most of the initial facebook likes of a, a new release or um come from my close friends and, and this community how do you how do you have that when you, if you've moved around from from city to city that is a great question and something that i i've probably wrestled with i think i'm incredibly grateful for the people from london or England who have stuck by me and mm. the people from Austin that continues to stick by me and the people from New Orleans who've taken me in, I think. Um, again, I felt even when I was in London, I was connected to people in Australia or continental Europe or the USA who were kind of supporting me and pushing me along, buying tapes, sharing music on Facebook or whatever. Yeah. And I feel like as I move on, you know, maybe you lose some people who aren't seeing you every day at a venue or at their show, but... I think a lot of people stick by you and hopefully, you know, the label and the people you want to champion, um, you know, they like what you do at the end of the day. They're yeah. kind of, part of it is is loyalty and part of it is like people believing in, in what you're doing. Um, I think it, it is hard and I definitely have like not lost people in a bad way, but definitely like lost a sense yeah. of momentum in, in a city, but I think some people stuck around. Well, you know, and I, th I feel like, you know, it, it may not be that big of a deal because it, it, the everything is so global now because of Twitter mm. and because of the internet and Bandcamp and, and you know, my home base community is great, but I feel like they might just be more of a subconscious and an emotional like uh, support system. I, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we could still make things happen if I moved you know across the country or whatnot. Yeah. I mean, I feel like if you look at the numbers, I feel like I have as many listeners and sell as many tapes in Japan or hmm. London as I do in Austin or New Orleans. Right, you know yeah. I mean? yeah. Like, I, I think that was one of the reasons when I was, you know, uh, two and a half years ago when I decided to move out of London, I was very much like, well, I'm looking at all the numbers and I have as many listeners in the States as I do over here, so why don't I just move? Yeah, yes. Um, Same with us too. That's weird. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's like things are so global. I think what's cool and something I – want the direction I'd love to go with the label, but it probably very much needs me to invest in my local community. Is that like when I see labels like maybe Fat Possum in Oxford or Father mm. Daughter in San Francisco yeah. or even commu community records in New Orleans, especially, yeah. they spend so much time with the kind of hardcore people 
uh, that come out to their shows and the people that have been there since day one, like you were saying about your friends and family or even just like people in the scene. And I think I really envy the way they handle like anniversary shows or even local shows right. for the artists. Yeah. They promote where they really support them. And I feel like I've never had that in London because I wasn't there long enough really when I was doing the label and Austin and here. It's always kind of been... Um, a bit remote so I feel like sometimes I'll my best show the best kind of community I could rabble for someone is like you know somewhere totally random where there just happens to be a lot of people who have my back right um, <laughs> but I I would say the antithesis of that though is South by because I feel like when I was in London I went out to South by a couple of times and obviously mm. I was in Austin so I knew people from London who were coming out and I knew people from all over the country who were coming to Austin so I felt like during South by I was always able to kind of do these shows that felt really communal and, oh, that's great. And, su and supportive and everyone was kind of like meeting each other and being like, yeah, you're going to do this. And so I kind of have a lot of love for South by being almost like where my label really found its home, even if, you know, it's kind of just one week or one show. I, I feel that same envy too, because I, I don't really go out to a lot of shows and um, in our city's not huge. So we can't, you know, we can't just can't do more than like a few shows a a year really you know without like exhausting yeah. the fans and and so yeah i yeah I, I feel that too i see some people who like it seems like they live in clubs and they're doing all these cool shows but my my dream has always been to just try to foster that same community but online you know and and to try yeah. to try to do that through playlisters and people who, who just listen to our music while they're studying and and uh through twitter or whatnot yeah i think it's underrated the idea of the internet being like the location. I mean, I think you draw That's a true. lot from yeah. your home, but I, I don't see the issue of being like an online label or being a remote a satellite label. I feel like, I feel really indebted to London, Austin and New Orleans for like making me who I am. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I also am really thankful for the internet and, you know, the strangers who I've never met in real life that are, you know, a huge part of the label. I think like my most emotional moments or most, my moments of success, if you want to use that word, are like when I've got, written letters from people from listeners or even just like nice emails and and they've said like oh you know i you know found this track and i did this with it or you know your output has always made me think this or has mm -hmm. given me this this night or this memory and that's awesome you know yeah that's like that's the stuff that you remember and i think in your darkest days that's the stuff you cling to for like you know, oh why, <laughs> yeah. why am i still doing this <laughs> yeah i have a lot of those too um i you know, it's that's I really like what you said about like how like the online community is underrated and it's almost like it has like it's still for people who kind of, you know, my generation like um lived a life before the internet and and so like it has that stigma still a little bit. Like it is still weird that I have really close friends who I've never met in person. You know what yeah. I mean? Like my grandfather would probably think that's super strange. And like, you know, like obviously meeting someone online and marrying them still has like a little bit of that stigma that it, it did like in the early 2000s. But I, I think you're right. I think there's like the fact that I have business associates and I have friends and I have artists on our label who I've never met. Uh, it doesn't yeah. bother me in the slightest. No. Because you often, it's it's like the inverse. You've actually maybe been more intimate or shared things with them or had an experience with them that's like much harder to foster yeah. in real life. 
life. And that's yeah, no shame. True, I true. love, you know, I love real life. I love you love- being outside. I love going <laughs> This is nothing show. against real people. I love breathing air and sharing conversation <laughs> and, a, and a cup of coffee. But there is, there is an undoubted uh, kind of strangeness and connection with someone, you know, in Melbourne <laughs> who understands you uh, over two lines in an IM you know, chat yeah, thing yeah. that you suddenly go like, whoa, what is this? What, you know, what, what did we crack to get here? And I think, you know, I'm sure you've had it when you've reached out to artists where you're like, wait, this is something that means so much to me and I have no idea who you are, but this conversation seems just like one in a million. Um, I, yeah. And I mean, it, it, it takes the global network to, to be able to find those people where it's like, if you like one band but you only like their one album, but you also like this other band and you only like that one album, what are the chances you're going to find someone the same age as you who uh, likes those two albums specifically? You know, and that's what's so great, I find. And I think for, for labels too, it's like, you know, we make a certain kind of music and it, it contributes to a certain kind of lifestyle. And mm. there aren't enough people in my city to sustain us who like that kind of music. And, yeah. but there, there's maybe two in every major city <laughs> in the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you put those all together and you could make a living off of them. Yeah. That's why my, the Bandcamp square, like uh profile pick things, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's one of my favorite things because you'll go to, you know, you'll have, you know, the squares that constantly pop up on your releases or yeah. whatever. And then you'll go to like a new release, which everyone's talking about. And you'll be like, Oh, hello, you know, Oh my God. Like Jane is here. <laughs> and you'll see like, you know, just to use a random name, like Jane Murphy's little Bandcamp square. And you'll see that she's like, you know, she's bought the, uh, you know, Frankie Cosmos album yeah. and, the, and the Florist album. And yeah. you know, she was, she was, she was the first one, you know, to buy the Soccer Mummy album before anyone else. And you'll be like <laughs> that kind of little square popping up of, you know, Jane Murphy in Minneapolis. You're just like, oh man, that sounds know, like- she's... It sounds like a great way to meet a partner. Right. I, I know. Idea. I mean, that's a good idea. I think someone was joking or they it's actually coming, but I could have sworn someone was tweeting the other day about like a band camp dating like section. Like a Tinder band camp? Yeah. Yeah. Because it would, it would just blow up. Oh my gosh, um, for sure. But yeah, there's definitely like band camp squares that I have been, you know, forever indebted to because they always pop up. And also there's also band camp squares that I'm like, always feel very privileged when they turn up because I'm like, wow, that person has such good taste. Yeah. There's a, um, oh, I'm going to forget their name, which is terrible. But there's a, oh, no, no, I just remembered it. There's a Japanese blog, which is extremely selective. Okay. Uh, and they never accept my press releases. They never accept my emails. <laughs> and they never accept my free Bandcamp codes and press releases yeah. when I send them, send them to them. But sometimes they will just buy the release. I think I think like what? probably I've done like twenty three releases. Wow! I've probably sent them. They're called Very Tiny Songs. I just remembered it. Very Tiny Songs, okay. fantastic Japanese blog, and they have a Bandcamp square for their blog, Very Tiny Songs, and their taste is immaculate. They are on all the best releases. I, and I think I've all, heard of them. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you have. I'm sure yeah. they probably have bought some of your releases. But they <laughs> never, I send them like a free band game code and a press release of everything I ever put out. And they ne- they only ever turn up on certain ones. Yeah. And they don't even use the free band game code. <laughs> they'll, like, bu- they'll like buy the release if they like it. Which makes me think maybe they just don't check their emails. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. No offense. <laughs> or, they have, or they have this sort of, you know, 
amazing taste and sort of honor policy for what yeah. they like and don't like. But yeah, if you get a very tiny songs band can swear, then you're really, I'm, I'm gonna you know it's a good release. Yeah, I'm going to check that when I, when I get off this call. Uh, so how did the label start? Like we, like what city did it start in and, and what made you think I want to do this? Um, well, I, I just left college, like just, I was fresh out of college and I started working at Transgressive Records in London, if you're familiar with them. They're a UK label. Okay. Um, they're a UK label that predominantly release, uh, UK, no, not, not actually, they do a lot of US artists and world artists, but they will only really work on the UK, Europe release, if that makes sense. So okay. for example, oh, they, put, yep. they put out, yeah, they put out always in the uk but obviously polyvinyl do them in the us oh i see yep yep so it's one of, it's one of those things where yep. you probably haven't like heard of any of their releases because they only do the U- europe side sure we have a lot of canadian labels who do that too do the exactly so yeah right so they're kind of like the european side of that so i started working for them as an intern when i came out of literally like, i think i was like i just graduated <laughs> uh like it was you know june or july or something and I interned with them for about six months and it was really interesting and educational and fascinating and kind of like I was wide-eyed and I was like, oh my God, I'm like in this label, I'm seeing everything from, you know, the inside out. And I think it was like this inspiring moment. But then after about six months, there was a sort of brutal moment of being like, wait, you're in a, this, you know, this business and, and curation and like art group that have been around for you know over 10 years yeah and there's only sort of four people in the office <laughs> and they run this whole company yeah and they've all been there for 10 years oh, right. and you're sitting there going like well where's the room for me and you're right. kind of like you know i was in london going out to clubs like every night that's and shows, wise meeting, meeting people and, and being like you know constantly meeting these incredible cool people that i envied but they were all it just was this kind of like scene and sense of regularity and people who've been there forever and i was like how you know how does one put themselves in in this space and you know this is someone i'm saying from like a point of privilege as like a white cis male who just come out of college where i'm like most of these people look like me and i'm you know educated (laughs) and i can go to all these clubs i have enough money and yet i'm still saying you know where do i fit in so right that's kind of an uh, interesting point to be in as a young person. So I sort of decided instead of like working for another label for free or doing more internships or kind of like, I was kind of hustling around. I had an interview at a couple of other places and I kind of felt like the best thing to do for both my sort of mental health uh, as well as, you know, building a resume, if you like, was to sort of just do it myself. Hmm. And so it was, yeah, in the summer of 2015, um, I was like, okay, you know, I'll start releasing my sort of best friend's band as like a little test of like, can I release music? Did you feel confident to do this because of what you learned from that label internship? I wouldn't say confident. I okay. would say I felt like I could, I felt like I had the talent and the knowledge and the hard work and the ears to do it. What did you learn? But I was still, I was still pretty nervous. I was still like, maybe this won't work. But I was sort of like, I could do that. Yeah. What did you learn Uh, from the from that label? I think I learned a lot about relationships and listening. I think like it was really cool to see how much music they listened to. I know that's like a really (laughs) stupid thing to say, but like one of the most underrated things, especially like when you're talking to like friends and family or whatever, 
about running, quote unquote, running a label or working in music. It's like you have to listen to a lot of music. <laughs> Yeah. And that takes a lot, a lot of time. People forget about that. True, like, true. You just have to listen to music all day. And um, yeah, I think it was really cool to see how much music they listen to and how much they think about music and how you have to be critical and make decisions about like, you know, how are we going to market music and how is this going to fit into that? And I think like seeing how meticulous they were with like release schedules or promo schedules or tour schedules or sort of like... Mm video choices I, I you know i think it was very eye-opening and you know some of that is really cool and some of that is like oh my god you know this is an industry you know um so i think it was really educational and really um inspiring to see them do it and i think i you know i was there thinking like i can do this i can listen to music and be critical and <laughs> i can i know i know what single is going to like be good for the radio or, you yeah, know i know what yeah. i know what jacket that singer should wear in a photo shoot you know i, I felt like i could get to grips with it and so i think it was really interesting. I, 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 you know, I did a lot of like data entry stuff. Sure. But it was just cool. It was cool to be in the room and amongst them, you know, when they were like signing people or again, watching how, you know, you treat people and artists and kind of like, um, you know, learning about certain deals and stuff. It was really, it was really educational. That's amazing. Uh, so when you started the label 2015, right after the, the internship, how, how did it go? Like, how was your first release? Well, it's funny because my first release, in a way, going back to the idea of like local community, my first release feels like the only release where I was like, it was all about my friends and family and the people I was with at shows, like coming out and like backing it. Right. Because it was with my best friend from high school and college, his band, who were in Brighton, called Lionbark, who are now called um, Nature TV. They're still a band in Brighton. And, uh, yeah, they'd been around for a couple of years or like 18 months and hadn't released anything properly. And I was kind of like, they were, you know, they were looking for a kind of kick up the arse to do, you know, put some music out there and kind of like have someone spur them on. And I was, you know, looking for some a band that was willing to trust me to put yeah. their music out. So we kind of like met at the right time, like emotionally and like our ideas were very linked. Um, and yeah, it kind of was like a good formula and it, it went really well. It, like I said, it was the only time working with like your best friend in, in your city and stuff. It felt like the only time that I've, we had like a release show plan and we, sure, we could right. meet up and like yeah. have actual face-to-face -face meetings. Like, <laughs> yeah. You, you, you know, you sold a bunch of merch to like all your friends and people, but you also then would meet strangers who would like take a bus to come to the show and that you'd we'd be like, who are you? You're not one of our friends. And they'd be like, Oh, I found your track online. So it was kind of like, that's awesome. They it was the most organic release experience, releasing that, releasing the kind of first release. And then it was after that, that I kind of like developed an internet persona and started like, you know, sending the music to people in New York or Tokyo. It was kind of the yeah. first release was much more on the ground, trying to get people out to shows, trying to get, you know, the music into people's hands. It was a really different experience. It was based a lot on what kind of London what formats did you release on for that record? Uh, that record was uh, kind of like Bandcamp streaming services. And, yeah, okay. Uh, and, and tape. And a tape. Okay, cool. What yeah. was, when you first launched the label and, and even a little bit now, like what was, like what were your strengths? What was, what did you bring to these artists that they couldn't do themselves or, or, or that um, they just maybe shouldn't do themselves? <laughs> I think... Uh, promotion and press writing, I definitely have a lot of skills for. Right. Okay. I think 
it's really hard for anyone to talk about themselves. Oh yeah, for sure. And especially, and especially like, you know, I loved my best mate's music and I thought he was so talented and they were kind of just sitting on all these songs. It was that thing of me being like, wait, you're so good. And yet you're not doing anything. Yeah. And so I was kind of like really motivated to like sell them. And so I think I had a natural gift for just kind of like explaining to someone that like, this is really great and you should listen to it. Um, so I think that was always a skill that I really backed myself on. I think there were probably a lot of other skills that I had to develop. Um, like I think taking no for an answer or the <laughs> understanding rejection is something that you learn very quickly oh, yeah. or, but like you're not really ready for. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like that was really frustrating. I was like, wait, not everyone loves this. What is going on? Like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> that was definitely a skill I didn't have until about six months in. Yeah. Four, well, I'm four still I'm still working on the when I'm ignored to not take it personally. You know. Yes. Yeah. 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 I totally. think of I think of how many times like this probably happens like five times a day. We're all click on a record on Apple Music or on Bandcamp. And it, you know, maybe it's like a local band or it's uh, just a, a band on a, on a label that I like, you know, like, you know, one of you guys or, or, or one of my friends labels and, and the music just doesn't connect with me. It's just like, it sounds really great. It's produced really well, but it's just not my thing. And, yeah. and I don't think ill of that person or that label, but for some reason, when I release music and blogs don't respond to my emails, I'm like, what? Why do they hate me? <laughs> yeah. Know? No, no, no. So, I, it's so weird. I've gone through nights thinking there's a conspiracy theory that like <laughs> yes. someone said something <laughs> about me or there's a rumor going around that like uh, I'm a bad person. <laughs> I take every, I, 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 I've got so much better now, but I took everything very personally for definitely the first six months. And then after that, I kind of chilled out. I, I would I am totally working on that and that that's a huge thing and I and not not even not even joking it's actually something that I've been reading a lot about and, and trying to stay focused and trying to stay driven and and really trying to think about rejection and and being ignored and and trying not to let it um, like I think I've said on this podcast like even getting when people unsubscribe from my mailing list like that mm. hurts it's painful. But. Yeah, and I, I think I remember the first time I like got a tape order from someone and, and they would like, you know, they'd buy one tape and then you could tell they like stuck along and they were like, get the next tape and you're like, wow, this person's like just really into the label. Yeah. And then they would not get the kind of the third or the fourth release, and then you'd be like, Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, what I did, did I yeah what did I what did I do to Caroline in Chapel Hill, North Carolina that she's you know <laughs> She's gone off my music. It's like what you know. Oh, and you, I kind of you know I have her address, and I'm thinking, do you know? Do I need to write her? Yeah, to say, you need like, to go there. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm getting in the car and driving. To yeah, go so to it's one of those work. things where like you and because you know I, I've never had anyone else as a part of the label, so it's always just been me. So although yeah. on social media or in like you know business, I'll try and use the like pronoun we. Or like act as if it's a business. Yeah. It's always just me. Yeah. So it is this idea that like <laughs> if you don't like the label, you basically don't like me. So you're yeah. kind of having a kind of personal crisis. <laughs> we, I do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic move. Yeah. Um, oh man, that's it's got it, yeah, it's got me thinking so much, and I, I really do think you should go talk to Caroline. I I <laughs> I actually, you know, it's funny because um, a couple times, and I've been so bad at doing this, but. 
when we had one record, we had a record that semi blew up for us. It did it did did nicely. And what was I, it? Well, sorry, it, can we just get a name check? Yeah, sure. Um, the record is called is the artist is called Benjamin, and the album is called The Bear and the Barn Owl. And it cool. was this. Uh, he's a high school buddy of mine, and we recorded it in my sweaty attic over the course of like four or five years, and it it ended up coming out and it, and it did really well. It was this kind of like um, acoustic folk with a bit of like you know post emo, you know, kind of a throwback to that two thousand sound. Anyway, it mm. did well, and I was really proud because I loved that record. And I I decided to like email each person who bought that record on Bandcamp, mm. um, just a thank you email. Like, I mean, it was only like maybe, I don't know, there's like 30 or so people. And, um, and so like I, I emailed them all. I maybe heard back from like four or five. They probably thought it was creepy, but <laughs> I just think I, at the time, and I still kind of feel this way. It's like, I we have a few of those people who will buy everything or who will support us on Patreon or whatever, and um, that's it's so huge, you know. And I yeah, I try to be totally. cool and try to be like, oh, we here at Other Songs Headquarters appreciate your business. But the reality is, is it's like that's an individual who is allowing me to live my dream, and I should really like turn around and say thank you so much. Like it means a lot. Yeah, no, I think that's a really beautiful sentiment and I, I echo it. I, I've never taken for granted any listener we've had and I have made a point of probably 90% of physical sales always handwriting a thank you letter. Oh, good for you. Yeah. That's a great I've idea. Been, I've been pretty good. I wouldn't say 100% because I'm sure there'll be someone out there that's like, wait, I didn't get out of there. But yeah. I usually, you know, three or four sentences. But I that's amazing. have always written just like a postcard. And I often print postcards of, you know, a picture of the band or the album artwork or whatever uh, and get like a print, a postcard print so that I can just slip that in as like an extra with a sticker or whatever. And so I've always tried to like, you know, write that thank you or even just like, you know, I hope this gives you a moment that means something or whatever, you know, yeah. something that is sincere and, you know, often different for every person who's buying it. You know, like if That's it is so smart. someone in Duluth, Minnesota, just being like, Hey, you know, I hope this lets the snow melt a little bit faster yeah. or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just like, it's huge, trying, man. It's trying to so huge. Because it means a lot to me. So I'm just trying to make sure that they, you know, they know that. Well, I actually bought a tape from a, a Toronto band called little kid who is amazing. And I, their artwork was phenomenal and their record was phenomenal. And I, I, I bought this cassette and I wanted to support them, but I also think it was a fantastic record. And the album came in the mail a couple of weeks later and in the, the fold was this like nap, like tiny little torn piece of paper. And it just said, Hey Scott, thanks for buying the record, whatever, you know, like a little note, like what you're talking about. And yeah, for yeah, yeah. me, like I'm telling you as a fan, that was, really nice like you know what i mean i probably threw it in the garbage right away but it was really nice like it meant a lot and uh it does something subconsciously i think to the for yeah. the fan yeah yeah i mean yeah even if it does end up in the garbage i still feel like there is that moment of reading it that is really important oh, like, for sure. like you were saying yeah. so i yeah i've there was a good kind of friend of mine used to run a radio station um before he was in college, I think he was in high school when he was running this radio show. Maybe he had just started college. 
but he once wrote me a letter from Bristol, Sam, uh, just absolute sweetheart and supporter of the label since day one. And he, yeah, I will never forget the letter he wrote me, um, just about what the label meant to him and how inspired, like he mm. ended up starting a tape label and kind of like trying to put on shows and nights Amazing. in Bristol and was saying like, you know, you were one of the first people I saw doing it. And I think the letter he wrote me that I still have, it's in a box of special things on my shelf. Uh, means so much because he very much kind of gave the love back and I think um, in those little ways again like this idea of reaching out to someone across the world I think like um, yeah it does mean a lot and I I, I definitely have never forgotten anything nice someone said to me absolutely so so I I hope hope it goes goes both ways I I, um, one of the things I remind myself uh, a lot is you know it often feels like this is kind of a thankless job, especially when you put in hours upon hours of, of, of promoting a release and then it maybe only sells like five copies or something. And, yeah. and, but you're still, you still love the record. You're still proud of it. But one of the things I try to remind myself is think of all the albums that you have in, on your Bandcamp collection or in your iTunes or on your record collection. And how many of those artists have you personally sent an email to and said, thank you for what you do or I love you or whatever, you know? And it's like, really, there's not that many. Like there's artists that I have maybe five of their records, like physical records, and I've never sent them an email. I've never said thank you. I've never tweeted at them. Um, But yet they're such a huge part of my life. And Yeah, uh, that's a great point. I just have to remind myself of that, that there's probably people out there who had one of our songs played at their wedding or, you know what I mean? Well, I've got to interrupt you there because yeah. that actually reminds me of okay. my all-time favorite band camp. Thank you. Oh, message, go, go, go. Which was Rachel something. Okay. I can't remember her second name. Her name was definitely Rachel. I can okay. find it in an email. But Rachel in Toronto. Oh, Canadian. Had You and Me by Lion Bark, which was on the first ever Sports Day release. Okay. Played as her first dance at her wedding. Oh, my gosh. That and is they, huge. That was my first release. That was about four or five months into starting the label how did she find the record she never said oh wow <laughs> she never said uh, I, I emailed her back just being like wow this is you know more than i could ever dream of a song connecting with someone i'm just glad that you heard it like you know congratulations i didn't you know go to town on a reply but um <laughs> i i just remember showing that and showing that to the band and being like this is insane <laughs> yeah is she someone- still married I don't know. Maybe I'll hit just her joking. Up after, this, after this podcast, um, <laughs> Rachel, if you're I, listening, yeah, shout out Rachel. But that's amazing. Yeah, I just i I was knocked over. I couldn't yeah. believe it. it and it's that, incredible. Yeah. And the thing is, as listeners, you know, and I'm a huge music fan. I've been a huge music fan before I was a, a fan of running a label. And I, you know, you think of those moments as a high schooler, as a grade schooler. Um, all these times in our life, how music has affected us, you, you just, you just hope that, that people have experienced that with your music. Yeah, totally. And I'm, and I know they have, because the crazy thing is, is that my music tastes, I'm not prejudiced. I don't just go to major labels. I don't just go to people with a million followers on Twitter. I have moments I have favorite records that, that nobody has ever heard of. You know what I mean? Mm. I, have, mm. I, I know that there's artists out there that I am definitely their biggest fan. <laughs> like, I know I am. You know what I mean? Um, and uh, so 
I, I just try to remind myself that there are people, hopefully, there are people like me um, that appreciate our music, hopefully, you know. Yeah, yeah. L- let's, let's talk about tapes. I think, um, uh, I read online in an interview with you that, that we have something in common here, and forgive me if I'm wrong, but um, this, this could be a, a huge special bonding moment here, but um, maybe not. The, the, <laughs> our, the something we have in common is, is no jacket required. Is that true? Was that oh, your first tape? Yeah, that is my first. Oh tape. my gosh, that is that was my first tape as well. And I, I mean, I, 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 I can't. I don't think it was my first tape that I bought, but it was definitely. Oh yeah, I didn't buy it my, either. I didn't buy. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> it was my dad. Yeah, it was. It was given to me by my dad. Yeah, <laughs> in a box of multiple tapes. Oh, great. I do remember. No jacket required was one of the first that I remember playing. Like I remember grabbing it out of this box my dad had given me because he was like, I don't need these anymore. No one listens to tapes. And yeah. I was like, what are you talking about? I have a tape player. And so I remember, yeah, having this hi-fi with a tape player. This is a No Jacket Required, you know, A and B, front and back. Oh, for sure. That's a great yeah. album. I've actually... It's great. I've been listening to it again. Comments. I got the remastered on vinyl and, and it's a fantastic record. I mean, it's production-wise, it's something that like people would die to create, recreate today. Yeah. It's a great sleeve as well even the tape sleeve oh i remember i remember pulling it out and going through you know what it's like a j card plus one or whatever it's like i think it's like a j card plus like eight or or is it like they had like a massive budget you could just dangle those things out back then right because it's got like a whole scrapbook i think of him on tour i think so i think so and it's him by a pool and yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it is quite you're right it's probably like a j card plus four Um, yeah but yeah, no, I remember listening to that tape in and out. And when I, you know, started the label and started being surrounded by a lot more tapes, I ended up kind of having a lot more tape culture and tape appreciation as an older person. And so I've kind of returned to No Jacket Required as this constant uh, reminder of kind of the great tapes of the past. Well, and, it's, uh, and as, you know, as the tape sound and, and the music mixing and production and stuff, the tape sound is coming back right now, and so is the '80s sound, and and just like that, like snare sound from um, Sue Studio on played through like a a crappy cassette deck is like very desirable in today's like mm. even in pop music and in hip hop music. Yeah, Cardi B is basically just trying to remake No Jacket Required. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, what got you into tapes, though? Like. Um, for the label, why why tapes back in 2015? Why not CDs or, or vinyl? I I mean, I w- I think I would have done vinyl if I'm being totally honest. If I had the budget, yeah, I, I, I think I was mean. in I was into vinyl a lot longer before I was into tapes. Hmm. Uh, I was buying vinyl when I was probably like 14, 15. You know, yeah. Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to start a label. Let me just Google how I can get vinyl pressed. And then I was like, okay, let me not do that again. <laughs> uh, I do that like every couple of months. <laughs> yeah. So very quickly I realized, well, if it's just me and I don't have any money and I've just graduated college, how can I, you know, get this thing off the ground? I was like, well, you know, a $200 investment or whatever is going to be a lot easier to manage than a sort of. $1,500 investment. Yeah. yeah. So the tape was partially just um, 
based on what I had, you know, it was almost, I could only really start a label with tape rather than starting a label with anything else. But that said, there were tapes, um, ones that stick out particularly was, uh, um, Cerulean Salt by Waxahachie. Okay. So that album came out in 2013, I think, end of 2013. And, um, I remember going to the gig and seeing it on the merch tape. I loved that album, by the way. I was incredibly into Wax Hatchie at that time. Um, that album was really, really incredible and really connected with me in a way that, I don't know, just really did. Okay. And I went to the merch table and I was, you know, it's one of those things where I was like, well, do I want to get the vinyl? You know, I'm out. It's Friday night, whatever. And I was like, oh, well, you know what? This tape is kind of sick. And it's, you know, seven, $8 or whatever it was. And it'll yeah. fit right in my pocket. And right. I kind of, I just... I remember being at that gig and thinking, I'm going to get the tape. It just like makes sense to me right now. And then I went home and I remember like digging out, you know, this old tape player with my no jacket required tape and my dad's <laughs> stuff. And I kind of was like, okay, I'm actually going to, you know, I'm not going to go online again and listen to this. I'm going to start listening to it on tape. And I kind of would take the subway in London and walk around the city with this copy of Cerulean Salt. And it just became an even more important record to oh me, my to the gosh. point that I knew every track and I knew exactly when the click, how many seconds the click would come at the end of side A. And That's beautiful. I kind of lived for these songs. And um, I then kind of off the back of that tape started going to shows and buying the tape because I had, and ordering, you know, bands like um, Joy Again, then known as Forever Lesbians. I bought all their tapes off a now deceased label called uh, Cellador Tapes. And like, I was getting these tapes sent across from the US because there were so many great tape labels. And mm. I kind of, from off the back of just like finding a tape that you connected with was then really curious to see what the culture was about. And so I definitely think um, two labels, Art is Hard in the UK. Yeah. And um, uh, oh my God. Oh, Beachcomber. Thank right. you. Right. Uh, Beachcomber <laughs> and Art is Hard were a big influence because they were the kind of the first two of the first people I saw in London and Bristol who were, you know, making tapes as young people and, and new bands around me kind of having tapes at their shows. And so um, I remember buying some Eyes Hard tapes and some Beachcomber tapes and being like, okay, well, how are they doing this? And so, right. um, yeah, it was kind of like a, a looking at the culture around me and seeing what I was able to do and realizing that, you know, we were at this moment where the internet was king and streaming was king. Uh, or Bandcamp or SoundCloud, I guess, back you know a few years yeah, ago was yeah. more, more bigger than it is now. Um, but the idea of holding something and having something that you know is aesthetically pleasing and retro and brings back these memories, but is also like you know affordable mm -hmm. and um, you can still show your pride as a listener to have someone on your shelf. And so I kind of, I just kind of fell for it, you know, yeah. both from you know having a no jack, you know, your dad's copy of no jacket required, but also <laughs> having this kind of like idiosyncratic little memoir of a good show or an album that made sense you know even though like you know today that you know i have spotify on my phone and i'm very remote i'm I, i'm not a luddite but i i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate the yeah. weirdness of slowing down every now and then you know? oh absolutely yeah do you do you make them yourself or do you outsource them like to a duplication company so for my first release i outsource them my first couple of releases, I outsourced them. And then I started making them because I was like, well, you know, maybe this isn't that hard to do. Mm. And then I was like, this is a lot of work. <laughs> and then I was like, some of these sound bad. And then I went back to outsourcing them. 
And then I went back to duplicating them because, <laughs> you know, you know what it's like. Yeah. You're suddenly only selling like 20 copies or whatever. Yeah. And then you're like, well, I'm not going to order 100 if my sales are only really doing like 20. So then I kind of basically made a decision that like if I was going to, for 50 or less, I would make them myself. Right. And if they were like a touring band or I felt like they had a bigger following, so like 100 or more, I would outsource them. Right. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I've done, I'm kind of doing a little bit of both. Um, I have a very simple, I've done some dubbing on four tracks. I've done, I've got a little um, audio, uh, like auto, auto dubber where you can like do a master and then just like speed dub it oh, at nice. the moment. Like, yeah, I've got like a not a bad machine. So I'm kind of tempted. I, I get, you know, I get, I get into both. And, and it's, for me, it's almost the artwork that's actually more frustrating than the audio. Oh, agreed. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, when you, when you're trying to like get the A and the B, the, uh, sorry, the front cover and the inside J card to match up and like, you can't fit four on a square of A, A4 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've just spent so many hours. In, oh, it's in, the in worst. FedEx. So yeah, I almost find the artwork more annoying. I know. Um, I actually although, wanted you know, to, uh, I did 200 copies. I sold 200 copies of Howdy's first album. And I did all the artwork for that myself. So I'm pretty proud. Oh, good for you. But that, that was the last big oh, release. Oh, man. That's that a great I, record, by the way. Thank you. That Fantastic was the last, record. That was the last record, a big release, that I didn't outsource. I think that was, that was the turning point. Was doing was hand slice, slicing 200 and folding oh, 200 copies of that. I was, just, I was just like, no, no more. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've kind of, you know, I've, I've bounced around. And there's a real charm to it. I've got a lot of love for the records I've done myself. But, yeah, um, yeah. I I also don't necessarily miss it. I think you know I I often use duplication CA, and oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I think they they do fantastic work. So That's, yeah, we them, use them know. too. Yeah, they're in Toronto yeah, and Montreal. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to them. They're amazingly great at communication. Kevin Henry, I think, is the guy that I often get. And I have awesome. Ashley is is mine, but yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah shout, out, shout out Ashley. Yeah, <laughs> you know what? I'm actually the exact, um, I, we, I've only started doing tapes, uh, and it was actually, um, forged artifacts who had, he, he, um, I'm totally blanking on his name right now. I feel like Matt. An idiot. Matt. Yes. Thank you. Um, he, we were recording a podcast and, uh, months ago, and he said, um, to me, you know, he basically, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's like, you know what, if it's like, if we're releasing it, like, then it's, it's worth it to have a physical release. Like, it's basically kind of like honoring the music by giving it a physical release. And, mm. you know, I've also talked about, I've, I've talked about digital only releases with other labels and I, and I think there's a place for those as well, but I, I love the idea and I'm such a fan of physical, of vinyl and cassettes. I have a, a cassette collection and, and I, I love the idea of, you know, even though, you know, we just spent maybe 150 bucks on an M Grig, which is a instrumental uh, EP that we did last September. And after Matt said that, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to duplicate this through duplication.ca. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. I think we did 20 or 30 copies, so it it ended up being like seven or eight bucks each. But so really, like, there's not going to be any profit made on them. But I wanted to do it as just a kind of a way to say, you know what, we are committing to this. And I think it shows the fans, too. We're committing to these releases, um, to this music, by giving it like, you know, almost like a, like a, a monument, you know? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I, I yeah, I think that I agree with what you and Matt are echoing. I think that's a really cool way of looking at it. And 
I pretty much, you know, if I do love a record, I think like I want that physical yeah. token. Oh, for sure. Um, I see it as, um, yeah, I almost need to warm up to a record online to yep. then be like, okay, <laughs> I want that. You know what I mean? A Which thousand is a very percent. Odd, yeah. It's a very odd way of thinking that this item is to be played, but it often is like a trophy. Yep. It's, it's like you've accomplished your love for it or you, it's earned your love to so you. It's a very interesting it's... Um, psychology. I remember being in a meeting, <laughs> which is very funny. I won't name the label, but I remember being in a meeting with a label when I was trying to get a job in London. And I remember they asked me, this is like, I, I, ju- I was probably like six months, four or five months into the sports day. And uh, they were like, I was, re- I was still trying to get a job in the industry. At this point, I was very much like, doing sports day as a resume builder. Right. And, uh, I remember they asked me, so what's with tapes? Why are you doing the tapes? No one else is like, what's with the tapes? <laughs> like, we, you know, we don't, we don't do tapes here. Or whatever. This is a, by the way, a very major label. Okay. And I remember being like, well, you know, kind of explaining what I just said to you about like, well, you're at the show and it kind of like, you really connect with it, but you don't really want the vinyl or you don't really you know no one really plays cds anymore so you might as well have a tape because it's just as rare as a cd player or a turntable yeah. so you kind of like <laughs> you break true. it down and it is this it is this kind of like mental connection you know there isn't a reason it's not practical it's not it doesn't right. make sure. sense that's sure. why sure. you're mute you're that's why you're a music fan that's why i'm on the phone to you it doesn't <laughs> make sense but you you do it anyway and you know it's special to you like music fans are fans yeah. kind of odd yeah and so i remember kind of having this conversation in an office in london being like and i think you know since that label has actually been producing tapes right they realize right. It, it makes sense but i think i remember being you know very early on or right before i started sports day being like why why am why are people into these things and i think you know it's not for everyone i think that's great i definitely have big people that I know listen to every release and share things and support sports day and they've never bought a tape and that's totally cool. Yeah. Um, so I know it's not for everyone and you know, some people live much more minimal lives than me, but I, I, yeah, I definitely find the connection to something. It kind of, um, it kind of leads me to this uh, question. Like I can't really tell if tape labels want the cassette culture to get bigger or if they're happy with the cult nature of the format. Like, do you think that the general population will get on board in the way they have with vinyl? Because I think it's taking longer than I thought it would. But what do you think? Uh, that's an interesting question. I mean, I mean, it's kind of we could be here for hours if we really sunk our teeth into the idea. Because <laughs> I would argue that I don't know if people have necessarily got on board with vinyl. I think mm. I would almost argue that was there was like a quote unquote vinyl boom. Interesting. And I don't know if as many people are buying vinyl now as they were two years ago. And, you know, I guess we'll just have to watch Urban Outfitters to see if <laughs> they are still producing so much vinyl. And I think if you look at the numbers, you know, Stranger Things on vinyl or Stranger Things yeah. soundtrack on cassette sells way more than any, you know, artist like Cardi B. Interesting. So, so I think this idea of like cult whatever or things that are big on a certain format are so much more uh, specific mm. than people than people necessarily wanting to enjoy music or feeling a connection to music in a certain way wow if, if, you, if you kind of catch my drift i just think it's th- it's yeah. so it's so odd you know what i mean yeah um and it tends to be more about cultural movements than it does about music and i think um yeah, I don't think vinyl is necessarily growing in 
in mainstream culture. I think it's more visualized and it's more, you know, it's yeah. in urban outfitters, I guess, but I don't think people are really like appreciating, you know, uh, Charles Gambino and then going and buying it. Online. Well, there's only, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. No, no, I, I think there's more, certainly there's more than there were 10 years ago and, and 20 years ago, but I, I think that there's only so much you can buy. And I think that's the vinyl uh, for, I've talked about this on the, on the podcast before with the, the cost of vinyl in Canada is, is quite high because of import fees and whatnot. Um, and, and the exchange rate from the U S but, um, it, I, even if, even if it wasn't like if everyone has a streaming membership that they're paying 10 bucks a month to, there's only so much that the average music fan can really afford. And there's so much music that's out there. So yeah. it's pretty daunting to, to, you know, I'm not, I'm not picking up like six or seven vinyl records a month. No, I'd say right now I'd probably buy one. Um, yeah. New vinyl, new I, vinyl. I'd probably buy like 10 records a year. Yeah, I would say I'm the same, and I and I think you and I would probably be on the higher end of the. Exactly, the we're yeah. like supposedly like the most <laughs> yeah. target targeted yeah. vinyl audience, yeah. or physical music audience, if you like. And I would say I buy you know ten ten a year, and that's mostly at shows. Right, right. Like I, yeah. I I I have a one record shop in New Orleans that I really love, and I buy a lot of secondhand vinyl through them. Uh, the White Roach, shout out, really lovely people. Um, but you know. I usually like buying vinyl straight from the artist. Yeah, it's great. Uh, uh, yeah. So, it is nice. and, but I would say I'd probably buy like 20 tapes a year. Well, and, and there's so much cheaper to ship and I, and I've been getting yeah. into them. I, I'm a huge fan of art and some of my favorite tape labels are like geographic North and, and Dinzu and, um, um, never anything records. And like, I, I've actually been getting into like some field recordings and, and drone stuff, not necessarily for the the genre, but just because the 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 cassette themselves are such beautiful pieces of art. You know what I mean? Like the whole package. Yeah. Um, yeah. Forged, forged, forged artifacts. Really exactly. Yeah. There I think are, Matt. Yep. Matt does amazing work, and um, uh, Furhoof as well. Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, the thing with vinyl, I've 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 said this to artists before when they when they're talking about doing vinyl is, is everyone's talking about it. It seems like it's the 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 big thing, um, but I try to remind them. It's like think of all your friends that have a record player, and really, you know, even in like the young millennial age uh, artsy community, you're really only talking about half of your friends have record players, if that, if that, if yeah. that, right. And then of those people who have record players, like they're only being able to afford maybe one a month, maybe maybe one every other month. And like they're going to have to make the choice to buy your record over buying the new Sufian or the new The National. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, my God. Totally. Yeah. So that's that's what I always feel. It's like like I I pressed my own record once and it was a it was a really tough, tough experience. I mean, I. I, I, it cost a lot of money. It took like six months. I don't think I ever made back. I certainly haven't made back the money. Um, and shipping them, I've lost so much money shipping them overseas. Um, I mean, I still love vinyl. I don't want to poo poo it, but, um, it's very difficult. And I, I love to see tapes rising up. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think going back to that original question, do you see it growing? I don't think, tapes have peaked because I think 
I find people discovering them all the time. Um, and I think, again, like if you look at the culture of Urban Outfitters or like Porches releasing a tape or Childish Gambino releasing yeah, a tape, yeah. um, it clearly is growing. I guess a bit like vinyl, I think at the end of the day, I don't see it ever really being a mainstream or like this thing that people do without thinking about it. Yeah. Like I was saying to you, I still, I think you have to go through a relationship with something for you to justify getting on tape. Yeah. I think that's a great, um, that's a great point. Cause I do that too. I never realized I did it, but you have to date it for a little while before you propose to it. Yeah. So I don't think we're ever going to be in a scenario where people are like, Oh, you know what I'd like? Oh, I haven't, you know, I haven't listened to the new, uh, Porches album. Let me just get out my tape player. I think like that day maybe isn't upon us, but I think the idea of people appreciating music with a physical release, especially again at shows, I think bands, and I think you'd have to talk to someone who is in a band and tours more, but I think tape sales at shows are probably pretty solid, if not rising. So mm, yeah, I think I in that respect, um, and again, I think that's where like bands do probably sell most of their records is, and like going back to like, you know, a band like Howdy, the only reason, well, not the only reason, it's obviously a great record, but like, we weren't going to sell 200 tapes online. They, you know, they toured twice and right. we sold 200 tapes. Yeah. Know, probably yeah. like a hundred of those tapes on tour and maybe a hundred of those online. So it's like, you, you know, for a touring band, you're going to do a lot better in, in, in regards to like physical sales, in my opinion, which again, I think is kind of interesting because we do so much online, but the idea of physical connect- connection with an artist is, still so important yeah yeah touring is great for 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 physical sales because of you eliminate that shipping and so it's almost yeah that's a great point yeah and again this idea of this internet remote satellite community is like you know caroline in chapel hill isn't is probably going to wait for a favorite artist from london to come through pay ten dollars to go and see them you get the live show <laughs> and you get the record without the shipping you know what yeah, i mean it yeah. kind of it kind of is a bit of a steal. Yeah, shipping, no, it's true. Shipping, shipping sucks. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> no, around. especially as someone. I remember being, you know, in London and getting being so excited that, you know, Yasuki in Tokyo wanted a copy, but then being like, oh shit, this is going to cost me. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know, ten ten dollars. It's, it's insane. Like, oh. Yeah, I've shipped a, I've shipped a bit to Japan, and I've actually had really. Um, Switzerland, I believe, or maybe it was Sweden. Switzerland, I think, was like shockingly expensive switzerland's not in the eu so that's why. oh okay okay well no longer is england coming out so. right yeah <laughs> good luck good luck with that yeah actually england if canada england i don't know if it's maybe because we share a queen or something but like it's really it's not bad at all i could back in the day i could put like a i could put like um an oversized for a cd i could put like an oversized letter mail stamp on it and ship it for wow. like a dollar fifty and I had one That's guy amazing. tell me he got it like two days later. That's amazing. Yeah. What are they doing? What is the underground? It's the like, queen. Post, it's the queen. Post railroad. Yeah. The queen comes the and U- gets it. The U.S. is pretty bad. Is it? Uh, going elsewhere. Europe is extortionate. It's sort of $13, 12 or something. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy. Uh, I, was, uh, I, I was doing a bit of research on tapes and... If you can get it really flat, and there's always the risk that you're going to bust the jewel case, but there yeah. is like a way to kind of fit it through that slot to have it be considered letter mail and have it be, con- yeah. you know? 
there's actually a really weird I I use stamps.com and there is a really weird option where I think if you you're right it's oversized so if you get like an A4 or what you, do you say A4 or do you say A by 11 uh, 8 and a half by 11 yeah we don't eight, say, okay well yeah. what, are, what North Americans call 8 and a half by 11 <laughs> Uh, if, if you get like an eight and a half by 11, uh, envelope or what I would call an A4 envelope. Right. Um, and you put a tape in that, you can get it as oversized letter. But if you put it in like, you know, a five by seven or oh, isn't that weird? sort of package, it becomes like a parcel. Oh, weird. So it's really weird. And so you can actually save a bit on mail if you post it in a really, in a, in a, thing that you clearly don't need that much space but it's techni- yeah. it's technically like an oversized piece of i don't know yeah but there is some ways you can kind of fluff it yeah I think. oh man you know it'd be nice yeah it, it'd be nice if like i don't know there was some sort of solution to that because as the world gets so digital it gets so global we are still like restricted by the actual geography the actual distance maybe uh we- yeah. Which is why, you know, I don't want to, I think Bandcamp, you know, is such a godsend. And, mm. You know, even Spotify, even though it doesn't really pay people out enough, I think it's still an incredible piece of technology because at the end of the day, everything is in the palm of your hand and your favorite, your next favorite artist is in the palm of your hand if you go and stay curious. So I think, you know, it is really powerful and don't, I don't want anyone to feel like they, you know, need to get a tape and pay the shipping just to enjoy something. I think it's, you know, it's awesome if you're a part of this and it's awesome if you're, you know, you're just opening your ears. I just think it's a, you know, cassettes and vinyl and, and CDs. And I mean, there's often, sometimes uh, I will still ship a CD, but um, it, it's, it's just more ways to celebrate the music. And I think, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, years ago when a record would come out, I would have to wait till 10 o'clock in the morning, drive to the mall go into the record store, buy the CD, and that would be the first time I heard it. And yeah, I love yeah. now that at midnight tonight, like today's Thursday to our folks at home, but um, tonight at midnight, I can hear whatever record's coming out tomorrow instantly on my phone in bed. And then, and then like I can, if I really like it, in a couple weeks, I can order the tape or the vinyl. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, I like that you can almost have like, have it both ways. Or I could go to the record store tomorrow or, or next week or whatever. Yeah, that's so true. I, I do. I, yeah, I love that. I love that midnight release. It's so great. <laughs> um, Waking what, up in the morning or having something ready on Bandcamp. Is I know. Great. I know. That's great. Yeah. Um, actually, running a, running a label, my every, every night before the release, because uploading to streaming services is always this like mysterious thing like is it gonna go wrong did i was there a typo and so i'll always like stay up the night before till midnight and check all the streaming sites and and then like if and there's been times where like something's gone wrong and it didn't appear at midnight and then like i'm freaking out and emailing people um but that's like one of the not fun moments of (laughs) running (laughs) people Yeah, that's definitely part of the uh, the downsides. What what like what do you consider to be success for you? Like, what kind of accomplishments give you that? We talked about it a little bit at the beginning with like the um, Rachel in Toronto, but um, is it financial? Is it a pitchfork review? What what for you keeps you going? Um, I think 
the yeah definitely the kind of odd the strangers out there that reach out mm. really really stand out as the most um heartwarming or, or special moments of um of running of the last kind of three years i think those are the moments where you just feel like you're existing or you're making a difference to someone's life which through music is like the best the best thing you can do yeah. i think going back to community or in real life or live music i think like the two south by showcases i've hosted um have mm. been really special just to that's try and create an environment at that festival that's unique and give bands a platform to meet people or meet you or have a space that is different to other shows at south by that alone just like a kind of sports day branded show i think it's been really really touching and to see people come out you know from all yeah. over the world has been really awesome so i think like those two things the kind of real life aspect and the kind of stranger online aspect are kind of the two things that stand out i think you know it feels great to mail out you know 50 copies or something and any like little bits of success have definitely like made me feel really good but they do feel a little bit less i I'd definitely rank them i'd like below the kind of one special uh kind of like person that reaches out i think mm. criticism is is hard because i think i feel really i feel so thankful when people write about music like i can't when people take time out yeah. of their day to like write a criti like a criticism good or bad really just to like listen again this idea that you exist like i think like uh i know i wrote something about them today and they've just said that they're kind of changing up their game but i think like when golf like paint has written something yes. and you know it's yeah three four five six paragraphs and you're just thinking wow you're really taking the time or some months some smaller bogs like pond music mag impose have written really amazing kind of more in-depth stuff in the mm. past or ad hoc um i've always just been so so thankful because i think it's it's different because i know it's it's more like their job even though most of these people aren't getting paid so it doesn't right. feel as emotional as rachel in toronto but yeah. it feels like again you exist and i'm just so glad that someone is connecting with this music that i know the artist spent a lot of time creating so that definitely it's different because it doesn't feel like success but it feels like this is how it's meant to be you're meant to run a label and someone's meant to hear it and you're meant to hear this response and you're meant to start a conversation so it, the kind of criticism is an interesting aspect of like existence and gratitude and functionality of running a label that i think really calms me down because I'm just like, okay, this is how it's meant to go. You're meant to like get a review. It's meant to be maybe good. It's meant to be maybe bad. And actually, the couple of print reviews we've had of records have always felt really sweet to see it in a newspaper. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. They kind of just like put a smile on my face. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of how success feels. I feel like I probably haven't tasted enough real success to really know what that would feel like. You know, like I said, I feel great if I sell 50 tapes. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, this um, this episode um, is is coming out in July of, of 2018. What what's what what do you have going on right now? Like, what are you what are you working on? I am working on a second. So when this comes out, they will be on probably on tour or just about to finish a tour. Uh, so if they come to your city, check it out. Why Bonnie? Um, oh, who yeah. was my last release for the, they that's a great EP really great um, they have a new EP 
which will be out by the time you hear this. That's awesome. So yeah, they had so they one out in February, of, right? One out in February, and the new one will be out in like a month. Oh, that's and that's great. There's, uh, or if you're listening to this, it'll be out right now. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, they basically recorded two EPs at the end of last year, and they were recorded with different people. And the band they kind of changed. It's a Bedroom Project by Blair Howerton. She started it a couple of years ago. Okay, and so she's kind of been rejigging it in regards to like who's in the band and that kind of her songs that she wrote alone but it's kind of been getting a band together in austin texas they're kind of old friends i've known for the last couple of years and uh she's incredible and they recorded these two eps at the end of last year and they were recorded with two different producers and two different spaces and interesting it was kind of like there was a moment where we were maybe going to release them as one but it didn't really make any sense because they sounded very different and were written at very different times in her life and she was going through different things and there were some different people playing on them. And so we decided to kind of split them up into two different sounds. And so the first one uh, is a little bit kind of emotionally raw raw Mm -hmm. and a bit kind of simpler in its delivery and its sentiment. It's a lot about kind of grief and loss and maybe the nostalgia of looking back and trying to work out like what is going on in life. Mm -hmm. Um, It's very confused. I think in water is a really beautiful confused record about like trying to rehash something that's happened to you. Um, And I think the new one is going to be a lot more playful and rose tinted and um, a little bit more kind of psychedelic, Um, not necessarily psychedelic in (laughs) its uh, sound. It's definitely not psych rock. Yeah. Blair has this amazing use of images. Oh, nice. That one image jumps from the other, which I think is is both like an old school kind of like objectivist poetry way of looking at things, but I think it's also very contemporary because of the way we like scroll through Instagram. Right. And um, the new, the single off the second EP, like I said, by the time you hear this, it'll be out and they'll be on tour of the US, um, is called Stereo. And it's really incredible the way she describes this sort of breakup scene. Hmm. And then the way she describes kind of suddenly looking at her phone and the way she describes suddenly the way uh, people might be worried like that they haven't seen this person in a while and what are they going to be thinking if kind of we're not together and she kind of jumps between her point of view and other people's point of views and that sounds then she talks talks about getting she talks about getting lost in the music so she's sort of like breaking up with someone I think in a song and then she sort of talks about just being lost in the music and like only hearing the songs on the stereo and not hearing like what's going on in the scene that she's describing. And it, you know what I mean? It's just yeah. kind of like, it's that just a pop great. song or it's just a kind of indie song, but it's, you know, it's, she has this amazing use of depth and kind of static imagery that you kind of, you get confused when you listen to it, but you play it back and you're like, well, this it's kind of like, I don't know. She's very talented, but when I you, think the, sorry. Yeah. When you were listening to both these EPs, um, presumably months ago, what, what made you decide to pick, to put one in February and one in July? Um, the, well, like I said, they just felt very different. Did one have like a colder and one have like the one you're describing is a more summery feel or? Yeah, I guess it is a more summery feel. I think the best, the last one was better for introducing them because it was Mm. their, it was their first EP as a band. Oh, I see. Okay. So it was kind of like their first release and we, some of the songs, or a lot of the, the the whole first EP really was written around the sudden death of her brother, and I oh, think okay. she'd been holding on to a lot of these songs, and I think it was very cathartic for her 
Um, and, you know, maybe you could say it had a colder sentiment to it. And I think it was something that very much needed to have the band and her to move on and to kind of get these songs and to introduce them and build as a platform. And so this EP is kind of cool because the songs were actually written before the first EP, hmm. but they were recorded after. It's kind of weird. The whole timeline of the band's kind of funny because she kind of like was a solo artist, but she's kind of gained some bandmates and re-recorded some of these songs. And so the first EP, it's like all the songs were written at, in a very specific time in her life. Whereas this second EP, the songs are actually written like kind of all over the place, but they've been put back together with the band. And it's kind of in two halves, actually. It's going to be an A side, five tracks, but three on the A and two on the B. And the two B sides is actually her solo. And they're kind oh, nice. of much more, much more like Taz Cami uh, oh, kind of cool. beat, up, beat up recordings. And the, the front three are really kind of zingy, uh, full studio sounding ones. So it's going to kind of have a bit more depth, show a bit more of the kind of Why Bonnie experience. And um, yeah, like I said, they're That's a little great. bit more... They're a little bit more glowing and sun, sun kind of sun kissed. Um, I I I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I mean, this has got me thinking about you know this record, this EP that comes out in the summer in July. Um, what do you think about premieres and blog coverage at the moment? Uh, my opinion changes all the time, and I love blogs, and I'm incredibly grateful for the support they give. We've talked about that um, for seemingly nothing in return. Um, but at the same time, I'm feeling like something's got to give, like it's stressful for me to try to send a, a heartfelt pitch to every blog possible. And I know, I know it's stressful for them to receive like hundreds of emails a day. What are your thoughts on the whole thing? I think I likewise, am incredibly indebted and thankful to the people that support us. But I also think that time has sort of or everyone's attention or culture or whatever has shifted to the point where well there's just so many people out there there's so many labels and so many artists that it's sort of impossible for these to function in the way that they were or the way that right. is healthy is healthy hmm. and so i think you know this kind of slow quote-unquote slow journalism practice of sites um like portals or stadiums and shrines uh, I think are really where the culture is going, whereby you know you have one piece a week or one piece every two weeks, wow. and you and you spend a lot more time. You know, uh, the creative independent is another uh, kind of piece. I don't know if they're still going, but yours truly kind of used to be like this. They used to only do like one feature a month, uh, and I think that's kind of I think attention to detail and really caring about people is kind of where we're going. Mm. And I think the idea of constantly pumping out content is like just tiring everybody out and i think it's giving i think it's hard because you're basically saying like everyone is going to get less content and less attention but yeah. i realistically don't know how else you know we're going to survive yeah so i, I don't really have the answer and i wish <laughs> i kind of go back and forth on premier culture because it seems to be incredibly false that people only want your content if it's exclusive but part of me is like well why shouldn't we make something feel special so it's sort of yeah mm. it's this sort of weird back and forth of stuff and I think sites that I'm not going to name any but sites that overdo content or write about anything or you know create clickbait will die out because I don't think we is that sustainable either yeah, I don't know right, right, right. I feel like people you're going to get more clicks if people think your piece is so great that they want to revisit it you know what I mean yeah oh yeah it's like yeah. I, if I find a really good piece on Paul's or Golf Lake Pain, or even on Pitchfork, you know, 
I'll go back and check it out twice or share it with someone. Whereas like if I'm just clicking something to access something, like there is there is a disconnect there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm going back and forth all the time too because sometimes I feel like why don't I just drop this single right now? And, but then there's this, you know, gnawing in the back of my mind where it's like, well, if I properly do this and if we do get a few coverages and if by chance it gets up on, you know, hype machine and, and then maybe Spotify algorithms will find it. And you know, it's, it's like, uh, it feels like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, I just, it's kind of no, like, no, 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 I, you know I what I mean? You you explained it really well. I, I think that exact thought process of like, well, but this thing might connect. Yeah. yeah. You're totally playing the game. I think the only other thing just to add to this conversation is that I think the algorithm changes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram to some extent, although Instagram is not as bad, I think have had a, a huge effect on this mm -hmm. because nothing moves as organically as it did a few years ago. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. I used to get, or everyone, you know, I, I to this day have never really run any Facebook or Twitter ads because I just think they're so ridiculous and I try and really yeah. push people to try and naturally share yeah. things I put out. But like, there used to just be so much more traction on those oh. sites so that you, you could, you know, share stuff organically. Uh, and I just think now it's so hard, so, or so much harder to get people to like, commit to stuff yeah and so then you're forced to be like well how can i get use these other tools to like help stuff move well and i feel bad because when a blog does write about our artists i will share their posts on our facebook page but it's like come on it's no. it's getting like no one sees it yeah, yeah. it's getting like 20 views 30 views and i yeah and, and i mean i it's such a weird position to be in because I, I, I don't want to disrespect the blogs in any way because it blows my mind. And I mean, we've talked about this in this episode, but it blows my mind when I'm, I'm reading, you know, for us here in Canada, we have Ride the Tempo and we have um, uh, Grey Owl Point. And it just to, to see someone spend an hour um, writing six paragraphs about our record it just blows my mind you know and they're not making royalties they're not there's nothing in it for them and uh so i, I certainly love them and appreciate them but um it's it's such a different it's a weird time yeah it's a really weird it's a really weird time and i think like the album review in general is something that like you know is not as much of a thing and again like i think if you have a slow journalism site or like i don't know I, I guess i still read some page for pitchfork reviews yeah some i guess like longer content is either like a designated interview or like sap's or it's you know a pithy two-liner that the, the in-between has kind of vanished a that's bit, true you know? yeah that's true yeah, no, it's it's interesting. Well, listen, we could talk about this all day, um, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to to do this. Oh, Scott, not at all. This is this has it's been awesome. absolutely my pleasure. I hope there was something in there. I feel like it gets. <laughs> it was so easy to go off topic and get tang tangential. Well, but. you know, the um, I've I've started to hear from some of the listeners about um, and and there's there's labels of 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 all sizes, and I think there's probably people who are considering starting a label i mean even if it's a tape label that is just doing their friends band or or just doing themselves um yeah you know self-releasing 
Um, these are these are questions that they're going to that they're going to have. Um, you know, either within the first couple of months or the or or four or five years into it. Um, but I don't think anything that we've touched on uh, is irrelevant. You know, it's just. It helps me anyway. I don't care about our listeners. <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm <laughs> well, joking. I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm with you. I, I'm very, very lucky to have this conversation with you. Because if anyone hears it or buys it on tape. Well, um, thank, thank you again. It, it's, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. Um, also, share it with a friend, someone you think um, might be interested in this kind of thing that's always appreciated uh, also appreciated is if you check out the ebook we were talking about uh, at the beginning if you remember that the address is ebook.otherrecordlabels.com and the coupon code is other thanks for listening <laughs>